Welcome to CNN Tonight. I'm Jake Tapper in Washington. And tonight we're on the eve of American voters' last chance to cast their ballots in this critical midterm election at stake. Control of the U.S. House of Representatives, control of the U.S. Senate, plus control of governor's mansions and state houses all across the United States. The polls and political history point to a likely good night for Republicans. Since 1990, the president's party has lost seats in the House, sometimes in the dozens, when the president's approval rating falls below 50 percent, and Biden's sure is below 50 percent. Trying to ride that momentum, sources tell CNN that Donald Trump has been discussing with aides whether he should announce his 2024 presidential campaign tonight. It's all unknown as of now, but what is clear We probably will not know the results in a number of key elections tomorrow night. It will likely take days to count all the ballots. So, what to watch out for in the meantime? Beware of bad actors who will try to take advantage of these delays to spread false conspiracies about election fraud. Let's take a moment to go back to election night two years ago, when then-President Donald Trump was raving at 2.30 a.m., about a stolen election before millions of your votes had even been counted. This is a fraud on the American public. Frankly, we did win this election. Nope, you didn't. But you did manage to convince a large part of the American public that mail-in ballots were a major source of fraud. No credible evidence was ever presented to suggest any major fraud that would have changed the outcome of any election. That's the fact. Each state has its own set of rules about mail-in voting. Some states allow election officials to open the envelopes and count mail-in ballots even before Election Day. Florida, Texas, North Carolina. Others, such as Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, you cannot count them until Election Day. In fact, election workers there are not even allowed to open the envelopes that contain these ballots and prepare them to be counted. This means in early returns, some viewers may be misled. In October 2020, we tried to explain how this all might play out. Whether you call it the red mirage or the blue shift, you can expect early election night results to look pretty different from the final outcome. This will not be a sign of fraud or irregularities, just the inevitability of mail-in ballots, early voting, and various state rules about when those ballots can be counted. So on uh, the election night, it might look like Trump is romping in, say, Pennsylvania because they haven't counted all these Democratic-leaning ballots. Or on election night, it might look like Biden was romping in Ohio and Texas because those states counted their early ballots before the election, which Democrats used disproportionately. And that's how it all played out. That all happened. The difference being, of course, that Biden didn't claim that he really had won Ohio and Texas. Here's former Fox News editor Chris Steyerwalt before the January 6th committee talking about preparing Fox viewers for the red mirage. We had gone to pains, uh, and I'm proud of the pains we went to, to make sure that we were informing viewers that this was going to happen. Happens every time. Trump's own Attorney General, Bill Barr, testified that he knew this would happen, too. People had been talking for weeks, and everyone understood for weeks that that was going to be what happened on election night. 
But Donald Trump was not satisfied with a red mirage. He wanted a red reality. And when he didn't get one, he launched a madcap campaign of deranged election lies. Today marks two years since Trump tweeted that his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, would hold a press conference on alleged voter fraud to be held at the Four Seasons Philadelphia. This event ended up actually being held at a place called Four Seasons Total Landscaping, just north of the Tacony palmyra Bridge in the strip mall with the sex shop across the street from the crematorium. Not the fancy Four Seasons Hotel in Center City. So I'm here on behalf of the, on behalf of the Trump campaign as an attorney for, for the president to describe to you the first part of a situation that is extremely, extremely troubling. That farce was extremely troubling, but not for the reasons that Giuliani cited. Those lies became dangerous. They incited a mob and culminated in the violent attempt to overturn the election on January 6th. These efforts to disenfranchise voters based on allegations that do not stand up to scrutiny, they have already started in this election. Today, a Michigan judge rejected a bid by the Republican candidate for Secretary of State, Christina Caramo, who wanted to throw out absentee ballots in the largely Democratic city of Detroit. Chief Judge Timothy Kenney took took a look at her claims and he ruled, quote, While it is easy to hurl accusations of violations of law and corruption, it is another matter to come forward and produce the evidence that our Constitution and laws require. Plaintiffs failed in a full day of evidentiary hearing to produce any shred of evidence, unquote. Wild claims, no actual evidence. We've seen that film before. Speaking of which, We cannot ignore the claims coming from some of the United States adversaries. Today, Russian oligarch Yevgeny Prigozhin, better known as Putin's chef, he appeared to admit to interfering in U.S. elections in response to a journalist's question about Russia potentially meddling in U.S. congressional elections. Tomorrow, Prigozhin said on social media, quote, gentlemen, we interfered, we interfere, and we will interfere carefully, precisely, surgically, and in our own way, as we know how. During our pinpoint operations, we will remove both kidneys and the liver at once, unquote. What exactly Prigozhin's talking about is unknown. Maybe he was joking. Maybe there is another big Russian disinformation campaign out there. Either way, what you need to keep in mind, the reality, elections are complicated. They can be imperfect. Counting your votes can take time. Brew some coffee, sit down, let the elections workers do the job of counting your votes because at the end of the day, your voice matters. It's a civic duty. I feel like it's something that just helps to get involved in your community and elections are important. We're going to make a difference in the world by our vote. And joining us now to break down some of the key races you should be watching tomorrow, CNN's political director, David Chalian. David, good to see you. So the Republicans appear likely to retake the House. Uh, The Senate's still up in the air, it seems. Which races 
do you think are going to be critical for the fight for the power, fight for power in the Senate? Yeah, so this is the current makeup of the 50-50 Senate, right? And the states that are red and blue are the 35 that are up for election on Tuesday night. But you're right. There are just about six races, I think, uh, that will determine control. The four Democratic-held seats right now, uh, Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire there, Raphael Warnock in Georgia, Mark Kelly in Arizona, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada. And then the two Republican-held seats to keep an eye on, uh, Ron Johnson running for re-election in Wisconsin, and of course the open seat uh, in Pennsylvania. So how these six seats fall will indeed determine control of the Senate. I would just uh, note here, Jake, if indeed, let's just say for the purposes of this argument, Hassan hangs on in New Hampshire, though that is a total toss-up. We have no idea. Total toss-up race. Again, another toss-up race. Let's say for the purposes of this argument, Warnock hangs on in Georgia. Walker's right there, too. Could easily go the other way. Let's say Johnson does hang on in Wisconsin. Um, And let's head out west. Kelly, let's say he hangs on in Arizona, but Catherine Cortez Masto next door loses in Nevada, and Adam Laxalt wins that Senate seat. You see where we are. Everything here then would come down to Pennsylvania. Amazing. So talk to me about the process when it comes to projecting a winner for the race. I'm, I'm out there and I just get told, okay, we're about to project. I have no idea what's been going on to make you guys dis- decide it's okay to do so. What, what happened? Yeah, we have a pretty robust decision desk operation. It's a bunch of statisticians and um, sort of political experts in the demography and voting patterns of each of these congressional districts in the country. And they are so steeped in this. And, and there are models, as the vote is coming in, the models start coming up uh, telling you sort of who can win and who can lose. And when our decision desk gets to 99.9% certainty that the candidate behind in a race cannot overtake the candidate ahead with the outstanding vote, they can make a projection. All That's right. the level of certainty we need. Well, it's going to be a fun night, as I said. You know, brew some coffee, get ready. Election night is, is coming up. In 2020, the nation's top election security official rejected all the crazy conspiracies about voter fraud that had no evidence. When he said it was the most secure vote in American history, Trump, of course, famously fired him. So does Chris Krebs have any concerns about this election? He's here live next. In less than nine hours, the first Election Day midterm polling locations are going to open on the east coast of the United States already More than 43 million early votes have been cast by mail and at early voting locations. Tonight, election officials are stressing to the American people that the final outcome could significantly vary from the early results, like we told you last block, because like in 2020, the process to count mail-in ballots could stretch on for days. Here to discuss, Chris Krebs, the former director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, part of the Department of Homeland Security. Chris, it's so good to see you again. Thanks for being here. Before we get to um, election security and voting, I, I do want to ask you about this comment by Prigozhin, this Russian oligarch linked to Putin, right. uh, who appeared to admit, maybe he was joking, I don't know, the Russian interference in U.S. elections. He told the Telegram, uh, he told Telegram, quote, gentlemen, we interfered, we interfere, and we will interfere. Um, what did you make of the comments, and are you confident in, in the security of the tomorrow's election? So... This in and of itself is an information operation. This is disinformation, what Prigozhin is doing. So this is Putin's chef. He runs the notorious St. Petersburg troll farm. 
the Internet Research Agency, they were behind a lot of the disinformation operations in the 2016 election. They've been quite active since, and, and there's been some disruptions. But this is just an opportunity for him to get out there and continue to stoke chaos. This is manufactured operational chaos for these guys. Over the weekend, there were some reports that this group, the IRA, was back at it, that was targeting some Democratic Senate races and trying to undermine confidence in the U.S. support to Ukraine. Uh, I'd also probably point out that he may be trying to remind the Kremlin as they're going through some problems in Ukraine that, that he's been a loyal servant to right. you know, the inner group and, and don't forget that and give him some support. And remember, he's part, he leads the Wagner group too. Wagner group, yeah, these yeah. mercenaries that are yeah. hor- horrific. But you are confident in the elections. You think that they are secure and they're going to be okay tomorrow. Yeah, I've you know, historically been pretty confident in the, uh, the resilience of the election system and that there's not a foreign adversary that can get in, that can change a vote, that can prevent voting. I do think that there's some opportunity space and just day-to-day operational mistakes. There, there could be something known as a denial of service attack against election night reporting. But the key here is that that's all kind of on the periphery. It's not actually affecting the process and the administration of elections. Right, it might slow it down, a denial of service attack. It won't change votes. Well, which is, which is I think, the key here. And, and something you've said uh, and others is that we just have to be patient. Yeah. Don't overreact. This takes time. It's a process. And regardless of all the fluff around uh, some of the political figures right now that are talking about how all of a sudden now uh, it takes forever to count votes, it's always been this way. No, it's, I mean, anybody who's followed politics knows recount in Minnesota took forever. The yeah. Florida recount in 2000, yeah. Arizona December. races yeah. always take forever to get the final uh, result when it's a close election. Right. Earlier tonight, one of Trump's attorneys, Christina Bob, said this about the election results. Let's, let's roll that tape. I expect to know who won by, like, the middle of the night, maybe very, very early Wednesday morning. If we don't, and if Democrats try to extend the vote, I think they're going to have a very, very hard time doing it with any level of credibility. Again, they're not extending the vote. They're counting the vote. But here they are doing it again. If we don't know Wednesday morning, the Democrats are cheating. It's crap. I I mean, the irony of her using the word credibility in that clip, it's remarkable. Uh, You know, as you know, all 50 states have a set period of time in statute to count the votes, to canvas, to audit, and then to certify. The fastest tends to be eight to nine days. Florida is one of the fastest. Some do take into the end of the month of of November. It takes time. Who makes the calls? It's the media. It's the media is making the calls based on exit polling and other projections. But the actual process of counting is at the state level, and there are scheduled, and there's time. But this entire narrative of giving opportunities to rig the vote, to figure out how many votes they need, and this blue wave at the end, this is the new platform. This is the new playbook. You see it. Rick Grinnell uh, made a similar sort of accusation over the weekend. This is just how this fringe element of the former president's inner circle continues to push narratives so they can soften up the base for their continued attacks to undermine confidence in voting. And and much of this disinformation is distributed through social media sites such as Facebook. I guess it's called Meta now. You might remember this video. Let's show you. It went viral in 2020. It claimed to show bags of ballots being burned. It's not what it was. Even though it was fake, it got millions of views. It was boosted by Eric Trump. What should people watch out for to make sure they don't fall for one of these 
misinformation campaigns or maybe in some cases an innocent mistake, who knows, but for false information. Well, I, this is the hard part, right? Because social media itself, the way the algorithms are designed is to get you to emotionally respond. So you rage click, anger click, click whatever it is. So I think what everybody needs to do is just have a little patience. Right. If you see something that gets you a little riled up, say, you know what, maybe I need to investigate this a little bit further. I'm going to go check out what my state or local election official, Brad Raffensperger, on with Anderson. A great example of clear communication, transparent communication. Uh, Stephen Richer out in Maricopa County, Arizona. Radical transparency in terms of how he's administering elections. So look to the authoritative sources of information, and that's your state and local election officials. One other thing on the subject of social media. I I don't know how much you've been following about uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter, but since he took control, uh, he he tweeted a, a link to a false and deranged story about the attack on Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, which he later deleted. He tweeted that comedy is now legal on Twitter, and then he started blocking accounts that parry to him. In April, he said it was important that Twitter stay politically neutral. Today, he told his 114 million followers to vote Republican in the Congress. What, what do you make of it all? Well, look, you know, privately held. It's delisted. It's yep. not a publicly held. He can do with it what he and his other uh, holders of, of equity in the company want to do. The risk here, though, is they make this shift where the blue tick mark, the blue check mark, has historically been interpreted as a marker of trust. It means this person is who it's, they say they are, tends to be journalists like you, former political officials like me. It's those that we take their word in what they're saying, and we need to guard against uh, impersonation and, and, and uh, misrepresentation on right. the platform. As they shift to a model where it's just to pay $7.99 a month, that changes the paradigm on the platform. And so as they make this adjustment, again, it's his right to do it as the owner of the platform. They need to be clear in how they communicate what that marker of trust is now a marker of payment at best. Interesting. Chris Krebs, always good to see you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jake. If tomorrow goes his day, my next guest will be the governor of Pennsylvania. But we might not know for days and days. And of course, that's still an if and up to the voters of Pennsylvania. Democrat Josh Shapiro is here. Does he worry? This might not be over tomorrow, even if he is the clear winner. Coming up. It is not even election day and already a critical legal battle that could determine the results in all important Pennsylvania is ramping up at issue whether mail-in ballots with incorrect or missing dates will count. Last week, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court sided with Republicans ruling that undated ballots should be put aside and not counted with the vote total. Tonight, Democratic Senate candidate, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman's campaign went to a federal court to try to overturn that decision. Fetterman's lawyers arguing, quote, the date on a mail ballot envelope has no bearing on a voter's qualifications and serves no purpose other than to erect barriers to qualified voters exercising their fundamental constitutional right to vote, unquote. Joining us now, Pennsylvania's Democratic candidate for governor, Josh Shapiro, who is currently the state's attorney general. We also invited his opponent, Doug Mastriano, but Mastriano has not responded. Um, General Shapiro, uh, you're the attorney general. Where do you stand with this lawsuit? Do you agree with Fetterman? Well, look, we have always sided on the side of enfranchisement, not disenfranchisement here in this Commonwealth. And we want to make sure all legal eligible votes are counted. Historically, 
a date um, on an outer envelope wouldn't have necessarily been considered a material issue enough to throw out an otherwise correct ballot. We'll see where the court stands on this. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania has made clear that none of these ballots can be thrown out. If there's a question on a date, they need to be segregated so that if there's litigation ultimately on these ballots, they can be reviewed at a later time. So look, I think folks just, you know, for those who have filled out their ballots already, the vast, vast, vast majority were filled out correctly. And many counties that now have the legal ability to cure a ballot have reached out to voters if a date was messed up or a signature wasn't exactly right to have them come on down before the polls close at 8 p.m. to cure their ballot. And from what I'm hearing across this Commonwealth, many counties are doing that. And many people are taking advantage of that on the limited number of ballots that exist that might have an issue. You received a letter today from uh, four of Pennsylvania's former living governors urging both you and your opponent, Doug Mastriano, to accept the election results, no matter the outcome, will you pledge to accept the election results? And do you think Mastriano will as well? Of course I will, Jake. And I've, I've said that many times. Look, looking back on 2020, we all know we had a free and fair, safe and secure election here in Pennsylvania. And that's because of the dedication of Republican and Democratic clerks of elections in each of our 67 counties and the good work of the Department of State. I have full faith in those Republican and Democratic clerks of elections here in Pennsylvania, and I will respect the will of the people and accept the results of this election. Of course, on the other side, and this is probably why those four former governors of both parties felt the need to write this letter. On the other side, Doug Mastriano is someone who participated in the violent insurrection on January 6th, and he was there that day, Jake, to stop Pennsylvanians' votes from being counted. And he's already pledged that he wants to undermine the vote in the future. And he has not pledged to accept the results of this election. It's just more of the same from a guy who is undemocratic and a guy uh, who tries to undermine our freedoms every step of the way. But of course, I will accept the will of the people and the results of this election. Homicide, the homicide rate in Philadelphia was at a record high in 2021. It's following a similar trend this year. Crime's a big issue. on the campaign trail, uh, in TV ads, certainly uh, among Republicans. If you win tomorrow, what would you do on day one as governor to try to begin to tackle this problem? Uh, And why do you think so many other Democrats seem to be struggling on this issue? You know, Jake, as attorney general, I've arrested over 8,200 drug dealers, over 500 gun traffickers, more than 500 child predators. And I've talked about the need uh, throughout this campaign for every single Pennsylvanian to both be safe and feel safe in their communities. I've put forth plans to accomplish that, including hiring at least 2,000 more police officers across this Commonwealth, as well as investing in the underlying issues that drive violence oftentimes in our communities, from mental health to trauma to poverty to a lack of quality education. We need to invest more in law enforcement, and I'm grateful that law enforcement trusts me to do this work as governor. Very grateful that I've been endorsed by local police across Pennsylvania, by prosecutors from both parties. They trust me to do this work to keep people safe, and I think this is one of the most fundamental responsibilities of government, and that is to keep its citizenry safe, and I'll take that very seriously as, God willing, Pennsylvania's next governor. It definitely looks as though Republicans in general are going to have a good day tomorrow, um, driven largely by voter dissatisfaction. 
uh, with President Biden and on issues of crime and most importantly, the economy. Um, why do you think that is? Do you think Democrats have a messaging problem or, or a policy problem? You know, Jake, I don't know that I'm the right person to answer that question. It's a fair one. I understand why you're asking it, but you know, I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to Washington, D.C. or what's happening in any other race. I'm, I'm focused pretty much like a laser beam on Washington County, Pennsylvania and other communities across Pennsylvania. And I think what folks want here is answers on how their kids are going to get a quality education, how their communities will be safe, how their economy is going to give them a shot to succeed and also reduce costs for them. And of course, how we're gonna protect their fundamental rights and freedoms. And that's what I talk about every single day, whether I'm in an urban, rural or a suburban community, I lean in on those issues. I'm not afraid to take on any of those issues. And I think we need to tell people in these campaigns what we're gonna do for them, how we're gonna make their lives better and show that we have a track record of being able to, to do that work. So that's what I've been focused on doing here in Pennsylvania. I'm not sure I can speak to what others are doing across the country. Attorney General Josh Shapiro, you got one more day left on the campaign trail. Enjoy yourself, sir. One more day. I'm trying to hold on to my voice for just one more day. Thanks, James. Sorry about the Phillies. Uh, it's been a long, intense campaign cycle. A bullet was fired into the family home of a Republican House candidate in North Carolina. That's an act of violence. It's horrific and being investigated. Pat Harrigan says he's also gotten despicable death threats, and none of it is affecting his determination this election eve. A Republican congressional candidate is with us next. Stay with us. The day before the midterm elections, most candidates are trying to get their ads on TV as much as possible in the race for North Carolina's newly created 14th congressional district. The Democrat just Pulled one of his ads. The spot showed a house belonging to his opponent, Republican Pat Harrigan. Last month, a bullet was fired through a window of a different home belonging to Harrigan's parents. No one was injured, thankfully. Police have not commented on a possible motive. Pat Harrigan is a special forces veteran, and he joins us now. First off, some, uh, sir, thank you so much uh, for your service and the sacrifice your family uh, has made with your uh, serving abroad. Your kids were in your parents' home when the gun was fired, I understand, which is, which is horrible. I hope everyone is, was, is okay. Jake, everyone's okay. And hey, thanks for having me on. And I'll say before we get started, I'm a huge fan of your book, The Outpost. It's a great piece of literature. Oh, thank you so much. So you've said it was political violence. My understanding is political uh, police have not yet given a motive. Is there anything more to the story that, that we don't know? Yeah, there's a whole lot more questions at this point than there are answers. And the police cannot rule out that this was not political violence. And so the story of this kind of unfolds across this entire race from the very beginning, from the time that I won the primary. My opponent has been lying about me. And I'm not talking about just kind of ordinary lies that you see throughout politics. I'm talking about vile and nasty lies. I'm in the defense business. I have a couple of uh, companies that manufacture firearms. And my opponent has said that I profit from the deaths of children. Reprehensible lies. And this has kind of set off a cascading series of events uh, throughout this campaign as this narrative and other narratives like it have been maintained where I've received a credible death threat. My opponent filmed an ad outside of one of my homes. He filed a complaint that showed pictures of my children. Uh, and then a couple weeks ago, my parents, as they're sitting watching television at 11 o'clock at night, have a bullet ripped through their window uh, only 20 feet from where my kids were sleeping uh, 
it is certainly disconcerting. Yeah, no, certainly. And, and uh, I'm glad everyone's okay. Again, I, we don't know for certain why that happened, but I can surely understand why you would be very upset about it. Let's step back more broadly because we seem to be in, era of, in an era of political violence um, against Democrats, against Republicans. And, and we also see too many people don't seem to care when there's violence against their political opponents, um, whether it's the threat to Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, um, the attack on Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband comes to mind. Um, thankfully, your, your Democratic opponent did take down his ad uh, and, and he did condemn the attack on you in the strongest possible terms. I wonder how much this, ex- this experience changed your view of how many people have a difficult time accessing their humanity because of their partisan politics. Yeah, I think it's a real problem that we have. And you mentioned that my opponent condemned the shot, but what he has not done is he has not condemned the tactics that he has used during this campaign. You know, if you go to my opponent's website, Jeff Jackson, it says honest and decent politics. This man could not have run a more dishonest and indecent campaign. And it's because he's willing to talk about anything that has, uh, that distracts from what the voters of the 14th district actually really want to talk about, which is the economy and inflation, declining educational outcomes for our kids, crime on our streets. And, you know, those, those core issues that are Mm. at the, uh, you know, center of this race for the future that America is going to be. And I think we all have to step back regardless of what political party we're in. And we have to say, are we willing to sacrifice our values on the altar of scoring political points? The answer must be no, regardless of what party we're from. Let me ask you, because both you and your opponent, Jeff Jackson, both of you are veterans of the war in Afghanistan. And you say that the withdrawal from Afghanistan last year, 2021, is what inspired you or incited you to run for Congress. How so? Explain. You know, At that point, I realized that we had failed leadership that was truly leading us down the road to failed outcomes. I really couldn't comprehend how we have a chief executive in this country who has managed to bookend his political career on one side with the withdrawal out of Vietnam, and then on the other side as the commander in chief, allowing the exact same thing to happen in Afghanistan. That's where I got switched on. What actually got me into this race was the realization that my two little girls, I got three and five-year-old little girls, are very likely to not have the same opportunities in their lives that I've had in mine. That is unacceptable. We have never had the next generation of Americans offered less opportunity than the prior generation of Americans. I truly believe that is what we are staring at right now in the future of America if we don't change course very quickly. Well, let's hope you're wrong about your two little girls. And thank you again for your service, Pat Harrigan. you got one more day on the campaign trail. Enjoy it, sir. Thank you, Jake. A week ago, we noted how many members of the MAGA movement apparently thought it was appropriate to make light of the brutal attack on Paul Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi's 82-year-old husband. As part of that, we reported on many social media posts, but two specific ones from former Republican Congressman Devin Nunes that, that appeared to poke fun at the assault, including one that Nunes shared that invoked the baseless conspiracy theories that Pelosi might have had a sexual relationship with the attacker. Before we did that report, I reached out to Nunes, and he would not comment on the record as to why he thought it was appropriate to spread those deranged memes. But Nunes did want me to tell you 
that he told Newsmax on the record, quote, we always condemn the violence, no matter if it's against elected officials or everyday Americans, period, unquote. Which, of course, does not explain those social media posts making light of the violence, which Mr. Nunes is welcome to come on CNN to explain. NBA legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when we return his take on whether Kyrie Irving should be allowed to return to the game, the NBA's all-time scoring leader has a lot to say about Irving's late, quote-unquote, apology for pushing that anti-Semitic film. That's next. New reporting about what it will take to get Brooklyn Nets point guard Kyrie Irving back on the basketball court this evening. Irving has obviously been suspended for his comments and his social media posts surrounding an anti-Semitic documentary. According to Shams Charania with The Athletic, the Brooklyn Nets gave Kyrie Irving a six-point checklist detailing the conditions of his return that includes in part apologizing and condemning the film, making a $500,000 donation to anti-hate causes, completing training that addresses sensitivity, anti-Semitism and hate, meeting with the Anti-Defamation League and Jewish leaders, and actually sitting down with team owner Joe Tsai. That follows ESPN reporting that for nearly a week, Tsai, quote, kept extending the clock to give Irving a chance to get this right for himself, the franchise, and the Jewish community, and Irving never returned a single one of his text messages, unquote. I'm joined now by an NBA legend and outspoken advocate for social justice issues, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, number 33. So good to see you again, Kareem. What should it take for Irving to return to the court? What do you think of this list of requirements? Well, I I think um, Kyrie has to understand what's happening. He's being unwittingly used to promote hatred and uh, anti-Semitism. And even though he doesn't see himself as being anti-Semitic by uh, joining forces and making posts like that, uh, he can be used. And uh, I think that's what's happened. You're not new to this uh, fight two years ago when Philadelphia Eagles' Deshaun Jackson tweeted anti-Semitic comments. You wrote in The Hollywood Reporter, quote, if we're going to be outraged by injustice, let's be outraged by injustice against anyone, unquote, um, it seems to be similar, a similar circumstance here, the same kinds of tropes uh, from Deshaun Jackson, Kyrie Irving, Ye, a.k.a. Kanye West. Why? Why do they all seem so similar? Um, I think the lack of awareness of the harm that they're doing, uh, both to the black community and to other communities, the LGBT community, the Latinx community, all of these marginalized communities uh, are all really in one lump. If we don't uh, try to protect everyone, we won't protect anyone. We have to have that attitude about it and make sure that all marginalized groups receive the same protection as the, the groups that are, that are used to uh, getting that protection and feeling safe. I saw a a post uh, by a Jewish American saying that Jews are some, in a way, in a a bind here, in a catch-22. If they do something, if they protest the kinds of statements that Kyrie Irving put out there, which is 
That documentary is full of invented nonsense and lies about Jews being Satanists and that sort of thing. If they protest and there are consequences, then supporters of Kyrie Irving say, oh, look, see, Jews are powerful. We're not allowed to say anything about them, blah, blah, blah. And if Jews don't do anything about it, then the hate just continues unfettered. It's really a no-win situation. Well, you know, uh, a number of blacks expected uh, support from Jewish groups during the Black Lives Matters uh, movement. And uh, they got that help. But uh, when the reverse was necessary, it, we ended up with silence. And uh, for, for, for weeks, uh, you know, Jews and Jewish kids were picked on and singled out. And uh, we, we, we can't let that happen. The, the condemnation of anti-Semitism and other forms of discrimination has to be immediately announced and pointed out so that everybody understands what's going on and who the culprits are. And when we can do that, we're going to make some progress because the people who aren't educated on these uh, issues will uh, start to wise up. You know, it's, what's interesting also is there's a quote in the documentary that Kyrie Irving uh, helped promote, supposedly from a, a Democratic Senate aide, he was, the, 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 the guy was killed in 1976 by terrorists. But the quote was invented by white supremacists, I think in Idaho, in 1978, two years after he died. And it just makes me wonder how much the white supremacist movement is using their hate to get blacks to hate Jews when it's all based on the same hatred that they have for Jews, blacks, everyone. There was a, a group of uh, haters that put a sign up on one of the freeway overpasses here in Los Angeles and it tried to give Kanye some support. We can't do that. We have to identify the people who are uh, behind all of this and point it out to them that they are wrong and that they need to be educated. And, uh, you know, until we, we can get that far, we, we've got a lot of work to do. You also, also recently wrote that, quote, laziness is what is threatening democracy, unquote, with the midterms tomorrow. I wonder how much of our politics you fear is defined by what you call laziness. Well, people who, who won't vote or who think that uh, it's not necessary to vote, they are wasting their vote and they are uh, really calling some very negative attention to uh, what's going on in our country by not voting, by the apathy. We can't be apathetic. We have to go out there and let people know how we feel and the vote is the way to go. Before you go, I, I have to that, ask... Uh, a number. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say... Uh, a number of uh, NBA uh, venues are being used uh, tomorrow for uh, voting uh, sites because uh, it's that important. And I hope people, you know, understand that and, and get out and do their duty. Absolutely, 100%. Whoever you're voting for, exercise your right to vote. Before you go, though, I do have to ask you about your thoughts on LeBron James possibly breaking your career points record. Well, you know, whenever he decides to do it, he, he deserves any and all of the accolades 
that he has earned. Uh, he, he didn't get those points uh, just sitting around on his butt. Uh, he worked hard for it. So uh, whatever happens, more power to him. He, he's earned it. Wow, that's, a great, that's gracious of you to say. No surprise that you would say it. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the great athletes and, and voices of our time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. We'll be right back. With Veterans Day coming up, I, I wanted to take a sec to let you know about a special charity auction happening right now on eBay to help America's seriously wounded veterans. All net proceeds support Homes for Our Troops. It's an incredible charity. I've seen firsthand the incredible work this group does, building and donating specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans, such as Marine Sergeant Adam Kishleski, who you see here in this video from our recent Champions for Change report, Kishleski lost two limbs to an IED in Iraq. And because of this home, mortgage-free, specially designed, he is able to live a full, wonderful life. I am proud to be an ambassador for the organization. And you can now help. You can bid on all kinds of cool items and experiences. Experiences. Go to a Mets or Phillies game next year with Bob Costas. I'll also be there. Win an acoustic guitar signed by Winona Judge. A Zoom call with Jon Stewart or Elizabeth Banks. Tickets to a Marvel film premiere. George Clooney's watch. Jennifer Aniston's purse. So much more. Go to ebay.com slash H-F-O-T. Homes for our troops. ebay.com slash H-F-O-T. Check it out and bid. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. Our coverage now continues with the luminous Laura Coase and the awesome Allison Camerata. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.